Well, when I was 19 years of age, I went on a summer mission with an organization called Teen Missions International. And it provided teenagers the opportunity to experience overseas missions. And their teams went all over the world. So I signed up to go on the team that was going to Israel. But you couldn't just sign up and go to your foreign nation. You first had to go through what they called boot camp. This happened in southern Florida for two weeks. So all the teens from all the teams gathered there. And I think there are about a thousand of us. And there we met our team and began training together. They designed boot camp to prepare for the harshest conditions any team might face. So some teams would go to places without running water, without power, with no refrigeration, obviously, and no actual buildings. So we all had to live for two weeks in such conditions. We had no showers. We had to learn to bathe in a pond or from a bucket of water. We had no cold drinking water. We lived in tents and cinder block stalls without a roof served as our bathrooms. We ran an obstacle course as a team each day, and if we failed to complete it, or one of our team members stepped outside the boundaries, we were disqualified and lost all our free time for the day. Yet it was all designed to force us to depend on one another, to hold each other accountable, and to build team unity. We also listened to lectures and teaching on the Bible and about the people and place that we were going to, and if we survived all of that, we could go out together as a team on our mission. Well, our team went to a little village outside of Bethlehem called Beit Jala, and our job was to build a chicken house for an orphanage of Arab boys. And then they would use this to raise chickens and sell eggs for their survival. Our facilities were better than they were at boot camp in Florida, but they still had some hard things about them. One was we had a very limited water supply. They didn't have underground water supply there. Water had to be trucked in and put in these drums on the roof, so there was a limited amount of water that we could use. We also worked in the hot Mediterranean sun hauling rocks all day because Israel is a very rocky land. We also faced some challenges to team unity when things got difficult. Yet ultimately, the foundation and the structure of the building went up to help build this orphanage, and the basic training of boot camp helped us get through the challenges of that summer. Now, many of you know that you have to learn some basics or fundamentals to grow in any area of life. You don't just wake up one morning and become a carpenter. You have to get training to learn how to use the tools, how to evaluate the project. The same is true for nurses or for doctors, for dentists or electricians, for accountants or teachers. Whatever your role is, you have to learn. You have to learn the basics. We have to learn the basics of taking care of ourselves if we're going to take care of other people like children. And the same is true in the Christian life. We need to learn and continually practice the basics. They help us keep going when life gets rough. 
They help us to connect to God's mission and purpose for our lives. And this includes bringing the hope of the gospel and of God to those who don't yet know him. So today, in the final teaching passage of the book of Colossians, Paul is going to review some basics of living out the Christian life. And I pray that God is going to use at least one of these to encourage you today to connect more deeply with the Lord, to engage more fully in the practice that we're going to be talking about. For when life gets confusing or difficult or blah, going back to the basics can reorient us to the one whom we need the most, and that is God himself. So let's discover these basics in Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 to 6. It's in your Bibles. It's on page 836 in the Bibles we have in front there, or it's on the front page of your program that was handed out today. Colossians 4, verses 2 to 6, where Paul writes this. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So what are some basic practices of the Christian life? Practice number one is we must learn to persevere in a regular prayer life. And I suspect most of you already know this. To be a Christian involves prayer. And the concept of prayer is pretty simple. It's simply talking to God and hearing from God through his word and in our spirits. Yet I think it is the easiest practice to neglect. We often pray when no one is around, when we're alone. So if we choose not to, play, to pray, few will know about it. So it's easier to neglect. And it's also tempting to abandon because it can seem like nothing happens when we pray. We pray, we get up, and it seems like nothing has changed. If you had toast this morning, you took your bread, you put it in the toaster, and when you, the bread popped out of the toaster, it was brown, it was different. But when we pray, we can feel like, well, nothing is happening or nothing is changing. Yet things do change because of prayer. And we may not see it or hear about it for a while, but the Bible consistently claims and points to examples of God hearing and listening to the prayers of his people. Yet, we struggle to keep at it. And this seems to be a common problem for God's people. For notice what Paul says to the Colossians about their prayer life. Verse 2, again, continue, steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So there are four exhortations for prayer in this one verse. Continue, steadfastly, watchful, thanksgiving. To continue means to do it constantly. Engage in an ongoing conversation with God. And we do this with people in our lives 
maybe there's people in your life through a particular day, you are in constant communication with them. Maybe your spouse or your partner or your boyfriend or girlfriend, your kids, your parents or some friend, and you may text back and forth and you may call at some point and maybe at the end of the day you catch up together. That's an ongoing conversation throughout the day and we have to do the same thing with God. God is available anytime and anywhere to hear our prayers. So we must continually pray, not just pray for five minutes in the morning and then forget about God for the rest of the day. Continue in prayer all day. But this does not come naturally to us. It's easy to forget about God amidst the pressures and challenges and distractions. And so that's why I think Paul included the word steadfastly. That's like the determination to be devoted to prayer, to be earnest about continuing in prayer, to be serious about it, to say, I am not going to abandon my prayer life. I am not going to let this thing distract me from it or this potential TV show or whatever I could be doing otherwise take me away from this time of prayer. Because we need God's wisdom and strength, his protection and hope for all the different things that we're going to go through on a particular day. And God has really had to work hard on me in this area. Because I don't like depending on someone else. I loved believing the illusion that I was self-sufficient for many years. And there is power and pride in feeling like you can take on the world in your own strength. And you can overcome any obstacle on your own. But then comes illness or trouble or death or confusion or people who don't do what you want them to do. And God has been teaching me over the years, there are a lot of things in this world that are beyond my control. Yet I know the one with supreme control and ability, and that's the Lord. So I need to continually and steadfastly lift up the things in my life and in the people around me before the Lord, because I have so little control in so many different areas. And then Paul writes, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it. And the images of a night watchman or someone in a guard tower watching out. Well, what are we to be watchful for? Some think it means to be watchful for the coming return of Christ. And if we are watching for that and we're paying attention to that, it's likely that we will live differently. We won't get caught up in things that are temporary, we remember that yes, one day Christ is returning and so I need to live and the people around me need to live in light of that and I need to pray accordingly. But being watchful can also mean to be aware of what's going on, of what's going on around us or what's happening in the world around us. And the more that we're aware of what's going on, we can pray more effectively for others in our lives and for our own life. And then lastly, in this verse, he says we must learn to include thanksgiving in our prayer. Sometimes we may think of prayer as coming to God with a grocery list of items and saying, here God, 
here's my list, fix it, and then we leave. Yet thanksgiving is like medicine to our soul. Cultivating a thankful heart can alert us, make us aware of all the blessings that God has already poured into our lives. It can dramatically change our perspective so that we begin to see all the things God has already done rather than the deficits or struggles in our lives. So notice in just one verse, though prayer is simple, it's so vast. There's so many things about it. Continue in it. Be steadfast about it. Watch while you do it and be thankful. That's the first practice that we find here. And then we come to verses 3 and 4, and they point to another practice of the Christian life. Practice number two, pray for others. Pray for others. And Paul asks the Colossians to pray that God may open a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which he is in prison. So Paul is languishing in some sort of prison cell while he or his scribe writes this letter. He's pretty limited in his ability to get out, to talk to people, and yet he still prays and asks for an open door to declare the mystery of Christ. And the mystery is not some secret knowledge that only Christians have. It's basically God's unfolding plan in the world through Christ. He's already talked about this in Colossians 2, verse 2. But the basic practice I want us to see here is the need to pray for others. And one of the greatest gifts that you can give to another person is to pray for them. When we hear of others' needs, hopefully we think about, well, how can I help in that situation? But a lot of times we can't practically help for various reasons. Or the thing that is needed is way beyond our ability to provide, but we can enter into helping another through praying for them. And I've heard this past week of two significant answers from God to prayer because others prayed. And this also points out to our need to share our needs so others can pray for us. And isn't that something that many of us struggle with? We don't really want to be known as someone who has needs when we all have needs. So why wouldn't we share our needs to invite others to pray for our needs? And that's one of the characteristics of a loving Christian community. Our willingness to share our needs and invite others to pray for us in them. And I remind you again, there'll be people here after the service to pray for needs. And you're welcome to come and share your needs for prayer. No shame. Since we all have needs, that's what it means to be human. So practice one, learn to persevere in a regular prayer life. Practice two, pray for others. And then the third practice, we're going to spend a lot of time on practice three, learn God's ways to interact with non-Christians. Learn God's ways to interact with non-Christians. And I can see three different ways in verses five and six. So the first way is we need to live wisely. 
towards outsiders. We need to live wisely towards outsiders. He says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Well, what does that look like? And I think one commentator nails this really well. He says, we must follow Christ as God's pattern for full and authentic living. So the more that we look at Christ's life in the Gospels, the more that we learn about how we can live in a way that is wise before outsiders. And Jesus did not give people outside the faith reasons to criticize him or to gossip about him because of the way he lived. They may have disagreed with his teaching, with his views, with his commands, but we don't see this criticism for the way he lived. We are told that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. So this must mean that we must aim to be good workers, good students or neighbors or family. We don't mistreat or reject people. We have a warm and inviting openness just as Jesus did with the people that he met so that people don't have grounds to criticize us for the basics of our lifestyle because we're walking foolishly. So that's the first part of learning God's ways to interact with non-Christians. The second way is we need to snatch up opportunities to share our faith with outsiders. And in verse 5, Paul writes, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Or some of your versions might say, redeeming the time. And the image here is of the marketplace and coming along a bargain, an incredible bargain for something that you really want and you have really been looking for. And if you come along a bargain for something you've been looking for, you snap it up. You stop what you're doing. You say, I didn't plan to get that thing, but I'm going to get it because of this bargain. Well, here, the opportunity to be snapped up occurs when someone who isn't a Christian maybe asks serious life questions or a conversation goes in a direction where there is opportunity to naturally share your faith. And when those opportunities arise, we drop everything to snap them up. And I think in this passage, there is a great pressure release valve on the pressure that we feel that we've, you know, just got to bring up Jesus with our friend and we just don't know how we're going to do it. So we're just going to force it into a conversation. Remember what Paul asked for in verse 3? At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word. And so instead of stressing about how we're going to bring Jesus into the conversation, we pray for God to open a door. And then when that door is opened, we snatch up the opportunity. We go with the conversation. We share who Christ is, how he has impacted our lives. And then the third way to interact with non-Christians is found in verse 6 where it says, we speak with grace and excitement about Christ to those who don't know him. And he says, let your speech or conversation always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer each person. So our conversation 
with non-Christians needs to be gracious. The word speech or conversation focuses on what we say. The word gracious focuses on how we say it. In 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16, Christians are commanded to defend their faith with gentleness and respect. It is amazing how gracious, gentle, and respectful speech can lead to healthy and uplifting communication. And think about how even the idea of someone approaching you with grace and gentleness and respect just calms you down. Angry, disrespectful, harsh words stir up reaction and defensiveness, but we are much more willing to hear even hard truths from someone who takes time to be gentle and gracious and respectful. And I wonder how many more people would be interested in Christ if Christians spoke with more grace and respect and gentleness to them. Yet Paul is not just talking about speaking in general. He's talking about speaking about Christ. And he adds that strange phrase, seasoned with salt. Let your conversation be full of grace, seasoned with salt. Well, how do you speak seasoned with salt? And some point to some rabbinic literature that seems to tie salt to wisdom, but there also seems to be a connection between salt and spiciness and what the spices do. They add flavor to bland food. Well, our speech about Christ should not be bland or boring. It needs to be winsome and appealing and attractive. If we sound bored or embarrassed, about our relationship with Christ, why should any non-Christian be interested in him at all? In him at all. And, and, and when we speak about Christ, we hopefully speak in this appealing and attractive way about him. We talk about the difference that he's made in our lives, and we may talk about how he has helped us and led us, and this kind of speech invites the listener to consider the positive aspect of having Christ in one's life. But does such an approach work? Do people come to Christ when meeting Christians who speak in this way to them? Came across a story this week about a man named Al-Fadi. He grew up in Saudi Arabia as a devout Muslim. By age 12, he had memorized half of the Quran. And he was ready to go to Afghanistan to fight the infidels alongside Osama bin Laden. But his mother pleaded with him to stay behind. And he did. So he finishes college in Saudi Arabia. And through this time, he's beginning to have a few doubts about his faith. And then he goes to the United States to pursue graduate education in engineering. And he is very nervous about moving to the United States because, he writes, Islam teaches its followers not to befriend Christians. 
And since the U.S. is called a Christian nation, he thought everyone in the U.S. was a Christian. So he couldn't have any friends. But after about a month living in his university dorm, he hears about something called the International Friendship Program. And it paired students like him with local volunteers who would provide help and hospitality. And he signed up, not knowing it was a Christian ministry. A young couple from the program contacted him and told him they were assigned to work with him. And over the next seven months, they showed him, he writes, a love that far exceeded his expectations. It was a love that he had never experienced before. In November, they invited him for Thanksgiving dinner, and only then did Al realize they were Christians when they asked to pray before the meal. So his heart sank. Yet he was puzzled because he believed Christians were filled with hate. Then he writes, this family never shared the gospel with me, but they had showed me what the gospel looks like. And on that day, I walked out of their home with great doubts about my faith and its teachings, but I vowed that I would do research on Christianity, hoping to learn more about how Jesus could make such a profound difference in someone's life, offering the kind of peace and joy that I had never seen before. A few years later, after earning his master's degree, he gets a job in an engineering firm. And there he meets another Christian who has this joy, peace, and light shine from him. And the Christian invites Al to supper at Christmas. And Al notices the Christian's wife and kids have the same qualities. So Al asks, why are you so different? And the engineer, the Christian engineer, shares his testimony. Then in May of 2001... Al, Al makes his first visit to a Christian church and they were studying the Gospel of John. So there he learned who Christ really is. And then he writes this, in November 2001, without a shadow of a doubt, I accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior. But it wasn't easy at first. Within a matter of months, I lost my marriage due to unfaithfulness of my spouse. I also lost my job. It felt like Satan was actively trying to destroy my faith. But these months taught me invaluable lessons about having a personal relationship with Jesus and learning to depend on him through all circumstances. Today, Badi leads a global ministry called Kira International to reach Muslims for Christ. In addition, he teaches classes and seminars on Islam at various churches so that others can learn how to better witness to their Muslim neighbors. And he concludes by saying, I came to know my beloved Jesus through simple acts of love. And I pray God will use my own simple acts of love to bring glory to himself by drawing others to a saving faith in him. So who has God placed in your life who does not know Christ? 
and you can live in wisdom before them and snatch up opportunities to share and speak with graciousness, seasoned with salt, that God can use to stir your hearts. And I'm going to try to demonstrate this approach right now. I'm speaking to those of you who are here with us today or watching online, and you're not a Christian. And first, I want to thank you for giving us some of your time on this Sunday morning. And I pray that you maybe are encouraged in some way or have some perspective about life. But I want to tell you about this person known as Jesus Christ. He is the most humble and loving person I know. He showed great concern for the most vulnerable and ordinary people in the world that he lived. Yet he wasn't afraid to confront evil power structures of his day, whether they be political or they be religious. And he also knew that we humans face three great enemies, death, our own sins, and the devil. And he knew that there was only one way that we could be delivered from these enemies. And that was if a sinless human lived a, perf or a, per a human lived a perfectly sinless life and then volunteered to die in the place of others. And God, who created and ordered the universe, would accept such a sacrifice as payment. That's what Jesus did. He offered himself up. He was killed on the cross and his sacrifice paid for or atoned for our sins. But he also defeated our great enemy, the devil. And he overcame death because he didn't stay dead. God raised him up from the dead on the third day. That's what we celebrate at Easter. And now Jesus, still in his human body, his resurrection body, with the scars from that terrible time, reigns over the entire universe from the right hand of God. And he looks with love. For those who need his love and help, he's the greatest gift that has ever happened to me and has come into my life. And he changed my life direction so that I could participate in all the good and hope-filled work that he does today, or at least some of it. And I would so much love for you, if you don't know Christ, to receive him and experience the forgiveness and hope that he brings so if you'd like to do that, you can come to talk to someone here at the front after the worship service, or you can pray and receive him into your life by asking. And when that happens, you will join the rest of us who need to continue to grow in learning these basic practices of the Christian life, regular prayer, prayer for others, and learning God's ways to share with those who don't know him. Because Jesus doesn't leave us when we initially come to him. He walks with us to empower us to live out these basic practices. And remember how I shared with you, I don't like to be dependent on any, anyone. Well, Christian maturity is a growing dependence on God.
recognizing how much we need God for, how much we depend on him for everything in our lives, especially these basic Christian practices. And so I want to conclude today with a prayer of dependence on God. And I offer it on my behalf, and I pray yours as well. Let's pray. O oh Lord God, we recognize you as Lord overall, including our lives. And we also recognize our own limitations and weaknesses. We need your help, forgiveness, wisdom, and mercy. So we ask for your wisdom and power to live in a way that glorifies you. We ask for your power and strength to persevere in our prayer lives. We ask you to give us your heart for people in our lives who don't know you. Help us to see their lostness and the hope you have for them. Grant us wisdom in how we can live around them and interact with them. Please give us gracious words that might create a thirst for you in our friends and family who don't know you. Grant us your heart for them to make the best use of the time and the most of every opportunity. And thank you for your ongoing love, support, and salvation of us. We pray all of this in your powerful name.